listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. This morning's kind of a special day. In fact, every day is a special day that God's people do, uh, gather together. But today, it's going to stand out in the sense that we're going to close something and we're going to begin something. So this morning, we're going to close up our series called Teach Us to Pray. And I hope you've been challenged. I hope you've been encouraged uh, in prayer through the last several weeks. You know, my hope for this whole series was that we would become a greater people of prayer. That we would begin praying more. We would pray before things and after things. We would pray with our children. We would pray with our spouses. And that we would not just utter words, but that we would not see prayer as a duty, but find great joy in being able to communicate with God our Father. And that we would pray with really an unearthly confidence in who we are talking to. But then today also is the beginning of something. You can see things begin to look a little different. I don't know if we beat you putting up your Christmas decorations, but today begins, it's the first Sunday of Advent. And so at the end of our service today, we have a family that will come and they will read. They will light our first candle for Advent. And then we hope that you go home and this evening or at lunch sometime that you would gather uh, your family around the table or in the living room for a continued time of Advent as we look forward to the coming of Jesus. So Matthew chapter 6, and so what I'd love to do today is just kind of give a quick overview of where we've been, what we've been talking about, remind us all, and then we will look at the final section of the Lord's Prayer today. But if you'll remember, the Lord's Prayer, you find it in two books. You find it in Matthew, you find it in Luke. And the one of the account in Matthew, it is set in a bigger context. In fact, Matthew chapter 4, uh, Jesus is going around. Multitudes are following him. And there's a time comes, he pulls away from the masses. He gathers his disciples together. And he begins the longest teaching that we actually have recorded that Matthew often refers to as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is going through so many different things, but he's not giving us a list of do's and don'ts, but he's painting a picture of what a, a true follower of Jesus Christ looks like. He's going to deal with issues like anger and lust, divorce, retaliation, loving your enemies. And at the pinnacle at, of this detailed picture sets the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. So for the last several weeks, we have this model prayer for us. And we begin with our Father in heaven. In that first word, our, we see that it's really, it's not so much an individual thing. It is a collective thing that we all get to pray to the same Father. And then I noticed something studying over the last couple of weeks that every pronoun for you English teachers out there, every pronoun is in the plural form. Have you ever noticed that our Father, give us our daily bread, forgive us as we forgive, lead us not into temptation. That this prayer begins with, and we're realizing that we're in this all together. We are one big family. We are children of God, that we get to share the same Father. 
And that word Father, we talked about that He is personal and He is close to us. And He's so approachable. We're not praying to some far off, unconcerned deity. We are praying to our loving Father that delights to care for us and to provide what we need. Man, I always grew up, it seemed like, with such a poor view of God that he was always out to get me or waiting for me to mess up or anytime I came to him over and over again that he was bothered by that. But we see, know that he is a loving father that delights in meeting our needs. But don't let us get too comfortable. Our father in heaven, we do not need to lose sight that he is above us. That yes, he is personal and he is intimate with us, but he is far above us. And this is great news because not only are we praying to our Father, we are praying to the only one who is all-knowing and all-powerful. And He truly is the only one that can do anything about our request. And then it begins, so once we know who we're talking to, we get these six petitions laid out for us. Three of them concerning God, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then it gets real personal with us. And Clint last week did a great job of, of kind of pushing the brakes and saying, wait, that really seems that almost out of character that we talk about these grand things about hallowing his name and your kingdom come all the way down to our daily bread. But what we really see is that all petitions are really beginning from one, that hallowed be your name. Everything comes from that first petition. In fact, we saw the purpose of the entire universe and every single human being is created for the hallowing of God's name. But you might be thinking, what do you mean by hallowing? Well, glad you asked. Hallowing means to show something as valuable or sacred or we might say ultimate. When you hallow something, you are showing that it is the most important thing to you. And so, of all things, hallowing be your name, and that everything else comes from that. That your kingdom come so that, not that I'm made big, but that your name is hallowed. Your will be done, not mine, so that your name is hallowed. Give us our daily bread, and not just so that we have all that we need, but it's so that your name would be hallowed. Forgive us our debts so that your name would be hallowed, and lead us not into temptation so that your name would be hallowed. So we see this, that we've acknowledged that we're, once we know who we're praying to, our first priority should be that God would reign supreme. That His name, His character, who He is. And this happens, that we saw your kingdom come. Meaning what is true in heaven, our desire is to see that come true here on earth. Now, are we going to usher in all of God's kingdom? No way. In fact, we don't usher in anything. But there are parts, there are certain aspects that we get to see glimpses. But one day, what is true in heaven of, of unhindered worship of the holy God, one day will become true. But it's His kingdom. And He is the only one worthy of leading and reigning. And then the second one, your will be done. Man, this is a surrendering of our wills and desires for Him. And I use that term that really the Lord's Prayer is a dethroning. It's us moving out of the center of our lives and allowing God to have His rightful place. And I think it is so fitting that it seems like it's such a hard time of year to make the focus not about us. 
Everything we see, commercials are driven our way and, and gifts and everything that it might be. It is so easy to make everything in this life about us. But the Lord's Prayer reminds us that it's really a dethroning. Lord, move me out of the way. Your will be done. And what a scary prayer that is. Pray, Father, in whatever this situation might be, man, as hard as this is, that I want your will to be done over what I would want. And then for me, this uh, begins the second petition, the second of the three uh, series in this. For me, this is the hardest one. Give us our daily bread. And Clint did a great job of breaking that down for us this week. If you didn't listen to it, you need to go read about or listen to his son's uh, salad recipe. It was great. And, uh, but give us our daily bread that we pray that God would, that he would meet our daily needs. And we've all done that. Lord, I need this or I think I need this. But the point is this, that God, you would give me what I need. You would give me everything that I need, but not to the point that I'm not dependent on you. Saying, Lord, give me what I need, but only to the point that I will never have so much that I'm not looking to you. That's what he's talking about, this idea of our daily bread, the things that are most important. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this. God, and I would say now, being on this end, God's blessed me with a few of these. But it's being in that place, maybe it's a problem, maybe it was a situation that you knew the only solution was that God was going to have to act. When I found myself in some of those, and in the middle of them, you, you hate what's going on, but you might find yourself in a situation that the only one that can change or do something about it is God, and you pray about it, and He does. I mean, there is not anything more life-giving than watching God move through our prayers. And then he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those or our debtors that we acknowledge who we are and where we would be without his forgiveness. And we recognize that we have no right to call on him, much less call him father. But because of his loving forgiveness... We not only get to call him Father, we get to come into his presence without fear or condemnation. But then we realize that what we have been forgiven of. And because of that, then we have a desire that we then want to forgive other people. Somebody once said this, and I have never forgotten it. And I remind myself, or I try to remind myself of this often, that I will never have to forgive my wife or my children, or someone else, I'll never have to forgive them more than God has forgiven me. Men, allow that to sink in. Men, because I know what it's like, and you get in those, at least I do, get in those fits of rage, and you feel so offended. How could dare, could somebody think or say that or do that against you? But reminding ourselves that we will never have to forgive someone more than God has forgiven us. So we recognize who we are, that we've been forgiven, but then we have a desire and we need God's help to be able then to forgive other people. And then the last petition was, lead us not into temptation. That our only hope of standing up against the evil one is the Lord. The only way that we stand temptation is because the Lord doing this in our lives and reminding ourselves that there is no single sin that I'm not capable of. 
The only reason I haven't done certain things is because of God's restraining grace in my life. And I need to, to be uh, aware of there's temptation around every corner that He would guide me through those. So now we turn to the last part of the Lord's Prayer. I don't know if you still have one of those little cards, but I want you to do something, or maybe you have it memorized. Matthew chapter 6, or you could go to Luke, I think 11. You turn in there, and you're going to notice something. Let me read it. Follow along in your Bibles or on your device. I'm going to read the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you have this on a plaque. Maybe you have it memorized. You're going to notice something. Our Father, which art in heaven, you're with me. You see it? Hallowed be thy name. Still there? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You reading it? You see it? Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, you should be seeing that, but deliver us from evil. And you know the rest of it, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. But what would you notice? It's not in your Bibles, unless you have the King James or the New King James Version, that this doxology that we have often quoted, and you've got memorized, you might have it on a plaque in your home, it's not in your Bible. So we're going to preach a sermon that isn't in the Bible. How about that? But here's, here's what I want us to see, is that this idea of a doxology is what that is often referred to. It, it's a conclusion. It's an ending praise. But in our modern-day translations, I often teach uh, from the ESV, the English Standard Version, it's not in there. And if you've got the NIV, you probably have a footnote that'll say something about the closing of the doxology. So what's going on? Well, here's kind of what has happened. It's that uh, as men and God was leading them to put the, the Bible together, the canon of our scripture. Years later, the earliest manuscripts, this doxology is not in there. But in later manuscripts, we see this doxology. So the ESV and NASB have chosen not to include it in the actual printing of your Bibles, but you might have a footnote, or if you've got the King James Version, you will see that doxology there. So what, what do we do? What do we do with this? So I think two things that, w that would help us. One is, when we got issues like this, we look to other places in the Bible. And they can We call it studying a, a theology of things. What does it say all throughout Scripture? And then I think we can also look at the tradi tradition of the early church. And what did they do? What did they believe? What did they think? And we see that, that as men are recording and they're writing down, they're remembering what Jesus was taught, or they were interviewing people, the, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and inspires them to write the Scriptures. And then people begin to imagine all the teachings that must have been going on about Jesus and things. And so people begin hearing all kinds of stories. So they begin devoting themselves to the teachings of the apostles and the recordings of that. So tradition, let me start there because uh, we've got something great news here. And that actually both of these, the Bible and tradition, they actually lead into each other about the doxology. So tradition, you know, traditionally, there always, in fact, almost always was a conclusion or a doxology to a prayer or a song. This is why at the end of our prayers that we usually would say something like, in the name of Jesus... Uh, or by your spirit, in the name of Christ, we pray and ask these things. It's a traditional to give a doxology. So a doxology, it does. It follows Christian tradition. 
Remember, Jesus is teaching uh, in here and through Matthew to Palestinian Jews. These would be men that grew up knowing and being taught how to pray. In fact, three times a day, they would gather and they would pray. And their meals were structured around prayer. So no matter what they were doing, they would stop and they would pray. And these prayers, even all throughout the evening meal, there would be a doxology or a conclusion, an ending praise. And so we see that it really is, it's built into tradition, but that can't be enough. Tradition can let us down. So then what does the Bible have to say? Is this a biblical thought? In fact, all throughout the Bible, we see letters. You see them from Paul. You see prayers that follow a certain structure. There's a beginning, a greeting. Paul's got beautiful greetings to his letters. And then you also see conclusions. In fact, our Lord's Prayer has a beginning. Heavenly Father or our Father in heaven. And then they draw to a conclusion. So let me show you a couple of examples just so that you can make sure and keep me accountable, make sure I'm not lying. If you have your Bibles, go find 1 Chronicles 29. 1 Chronicles 29, it's a, a, uh, it includes a, a doxology, a conclusion. And what's interesting is you'll see the theme of ours from the Lord's Prayer For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. You could underline those three words. You'll see that it follows a certain structure. So 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11 through 13. So I'll read it and you can follow along with me. But I want you to see if you can pick out those phrases of kingdom and power and glory. So it begins, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory And the victory and the majesty for all of that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom. O Lord, you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, O God. And praise your glorious name. So we see a very similar references to the doxology of the Lord's Prayer. It tells us that this doxology that we read and that we recite in the Lord's Prayer, it is a biblical thought and practice. In fact, we see the same words repeated over and over again. In fact, you could turn to the other side of your Bible in Revelation 5, verse 13. It says this, And I heard every creature in heaven... And on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne. There's kingdom language and the lamb to be a blessing and honor and glory. So there it is for the kingdom and the glory and might forever. There's the power. And so we see once again in Revelation the reference of God's kingdom, His power, and His glory. So what I want us to understand is that the idea of the doxology in the Lord's Prayer, yes, it follows tradition, but it also is a biblical thing. So I don't know, I would conclude it this way. You and I, we have the freedom to include the doxology in reciting the Lord's Prayer because it's a biblical thought and it follows Christian tradition. So let's kind of wrap this one up today about the Lord's Prayer in looking at that final phrase, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So if it is a biblical thought, then what does it mean? Why is it important? 
All right, at the core of this, we begin with, for thine is the kingdom. You know, I think we tend to think, at least I know I have found myself doing this, is that I tend to approach the world, there's actually, you know, God's got heaven and, man, Satan gets the earth and we just have to kind of deal with it and uh, Satan's going to do whatever he wants to do, it's his to do with, but one day, you know, I'll really get to be in, you know, the kingdom that is God's. But there really are two ways to live in this. You can live as if there's one kingdom. And this world is it. And if we believe and we approach the world that there really is one kingdom, it's so easy to look around and think, well, Satan owns this world. You see this kingdom and you can begin to look at it and you begin to think, well, if this is all there is, you know what, man, I just need to live my life and do what's going to make me happy. And if this is all there is. But what if there actually are two kingdoms? What if there is a kingdom that we really can't see? And we would call that kingdom God's, the kingdom of heaven. But the mystery of God's kingdom, that kingdom that, that I believe and hopefully you believe, only those, only those that are in him can begin to think and to believe and to see that kingdom. And it's the mystery of God's kingdom that I, I would say can only be seen from inside. From within this, we desire and we declare that yours is the kingdom. And we know that it is coming and that one day we will see it. Revelation 19 tells us that he's going to come riding in. His name will be written on his road and thigh that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So there really are two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of heaven and it's the kingdom of earth. So we need to be careful that we do not begin to get into the mindset that this kingdom really is Satan's. Yes, does he have power? Does he have a freedom to do certain things? Yes. But it is not his kingdom. It does not belong to him. And since this world and heaven are our Lord's and not his, then we just be careful that he gives us and the Lord has the sole right to govern as he wishes and he chooses. This kingdom is not saints. He does not own it as much as he would desire. So what does it mean for thine is the kingdom? It is yours, Lord. It means that God is free to do as he pleases. It's his. He is the king. And he gets to do as he pleases, and he will always do what is perfectly right and just. Because he's the king. And for me, that is such a comforting thought, that God will always do what pleases him. And will always be what is right Imperfect. You've heard me say it probably a thousand times. God can only do good to you. It will not always feel good, and we can begin to question that, but He will always do, and He can only do good to us. That God will always do what pleases Him, and it will always be right and perfect. Because it's His kingdom. And then it says the power. So to rightly reign, you have to have one thing. To rightly reign, you must have the power to do so. It would make no sense for God to reign but and have no power to bring about His desires and to bring those into reality. The good news is that since God is all-powerful, we could use the word omnipotent, that He holds all power, meaning He can do anything as easily as anything else. And all His acts are done without effort. He has unlimited strength. So when we pray, yours 
is the power. We're declaring that he can do anything that he absolutely wants to. And if we don't, if we don't believe that he can, then we have no reason to pray. Because he is, if he's not all-powerful, our prayers, they'll be useless exercises. But all six petitions of the Lord's Prayer require him to be all-powerful. So that is the kingdom. It's yours, Lord. You own it. You get to do as you choose, and you will always do what is right. And yours is the power. Lord, you hold all power in the glory. He began this prayer. In fact, Jesus is teaching. And then one of the reasons he brings this out is that men were going about praying to boast their own egos and their own pride. They were doing it so that people would think about how wonderful they were or look how spiritual they are, look how intelligent they are. Listen to those words. But he says, no, that we're praying that is the kingdom and that is the power and it is to your glory. In fact, this doxology reminds us that prayer is not about us. It's about God's beauty, His perfection and His holiness and God alone deserves all glory and all honor. So, Lord, thine, we begin, we conclude it by saying, for thine is the kingdom and the power, you hold it all for your glory and forever and ever, amen. That it is an eternity of unfolding ages that will never end. And so I'd love to read it one more time. I hope it's not the last. But our Father, which art in heaven. And once we know who we're talking to, it is all about hallowed be thy name. That your name would be held ultimate above everything else. And this is by your kingdom coming. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, dethroning us, giving us this day our daily bread, and to the point that nothing that we would ask would cause us not to depend on you. And to forgive us our trespasses that we know how much we need to be forgiven. And we have a desire that we would forgive those that trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, knowing there isn't a sin that is beneath us. But deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom. It's all yours. And the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so I do hope, I do hope that over the last four weeks that we all have walked away with a clearer picture of who we're praying to. I hope that we're walking away with being a greater people of prayer. And this, I believe it's like Martin Lloyd-Jones said. And he's right when he says that the highest activity that any human can engage in is speaking to God. And so this is what I, I want to do and I know for me, I need some practical things. And listen, prayer is not, hey, you just do this thing and this is going to get you what you need and, and make your life better. But I believe it is the, the highest activity we can engage in as humans is communing and talking with our Father in heaven. So this is what I've done. I, I stole two ideas, and I'm going to give them credit. And um, one of these that I've been practicing, and man, I want you to know it is for me, it, it has transformed my prayer life. I find myself praying and kind of walking through the same things over and over again. And man, I don't know if I was getting bored or, or whatever it was, but I found myself being very frustrated and then getting very convicted about my prayer life. And so I put together a handout. And the first one 
You can pick it up on the back table. I would encourage you to do that. Use the month of December. Or maybe you begin the first of the year. But what it does is that this one author, it broke up five psalms a day. And it begins in one, so that was easy to remember. And if you can add 30, you're golden. So it was one, 31, 61, 91, 121. So five psalms. Day two, guess what you read? Psalm 2. At 30, 32, 62, 92, 122. So if I ever got lost, I knew where I was. But you read five psalms a day. And then pick one of those to turn into a prayer. So here's what I did. I picked the shortest psalm, Psalm 117. It's two verses. This is how it reads. Praise the Lord, all the nations. Extol Him, all peoples. For great is His steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. So you then take that, and if it's one of the five, and, and you turn it into a prayer, it might be something like this. Lord, you are the only one worthy of our praise. In fact, the nations, will one day, they will all praise you. You are great because of your steadfast love toward us. Lord, when others let us down, or when I let people down, we can have faith that you never will. You are faithful to the very end. You're the only one that we can fully trust in. And you take that psalm and you turn it into a prayer. But the other way, I got from Martin Luther. Martin Luther, he was a man that was known to pray two or three hours a day. He, he had a structure that he would do five or four things with, with any verse in the Bible and turn it into a prayer. The first one was an instruction. He would ask himself, what am I to believe or do from this verse? Then a prayer of praise, of thanksgiving. Third, a confession, acknowledging his failure in that verse. And the last one, a petition, requesting help. So I randomly picked a verse, Ephesians 2.10, that says this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So how do you turn it into an instruction? Lord, we are the results of your handiwork. You created us and you formed us with purposes. You created us in Christ Jesus. You tell us to do good things. Meaning, Lord, there are things for each of us to do that you have set out. And so it's a prayer of instruction. Then you take that same verse and turn it to praise. Lord, thank you for creating me, not just to exist, but for creating me for a purpose that is far greater than me. A prayer of confession. Lord, I have often failed to recognize your purpose in my life. I get too focused on what I need and want. I often forget that you created me and you are the one that gives me purpose. Then come a confession. And then turning it to a time of petition of, Lord, I need help in this. And so, Lord, please show me the purpose you have created for me. Help me to fulfill that. Help me to also see the good purposes in my spouse, my children, and those around me. And so you can take those four things and take any verse and turn it into a prayer of instruction, praise, confession, and petition. I mean, I want you to know I found myself in these prayers of praying things that, man, I, I never even really thought of because the beauty of it is you are taking God's word and you, you are then using it to pray to Him. 
And so I would love to encourage you to pick up a handout, take a few for some friends or whatever you might want to do and use this month of December or maybe that's how you're going to begin your new year of becoming a people of more consistent and powerful in a fresh prayer life. So this morning, we closed up with the doxology and next week we're going to begin with a, an Advent series of leading up to that Christmas morning. But thinking about that we close the prayer with thine power or your kingdom and your power and your glory. You know, there are those moments that we see this and I think there is no greater moment that we see God's kingdom coming. We see his power and we see his glory like none other in the birth of his son, Jesus. Man, he leaves that kingdom. And he, in fact, Jesus says of himself, I am the kingdom. And he ushers it in, in power. I mean, he defies all kinds of, of human limitations in coming to be born of a virgin. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.